Um, welcome to Life on Side D, where we talk to, we talk to, a miniature posture where we talk about the joys, beauties, and challenges of living according to the traditional sexual ethic as LGBT and same-sex attracted Christians. I'm Ashley, uh, Sarah's with us today, and we want to welcome hello. our guests, Aaron and Liz. Hey, good morning. Good morning. It is morning. We haven't done a morning recording in a long time. <laughs> no. You're welcome yeah, for this morning. gift. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. It's just usually when schedules collide, basically, how we do things. True. Um, so, um, let's see. I would say today, if Aaron and Liz, if you guys want to kind of introduce yourselves a little bit, like you talk to us about who you guys are and um, a little bit about yourselves to start because me and Sarah have talked about ourselves several times already. So. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm Aaron and I, uh, I mean, by occupation, I'm a licensed school counselor and a licensed mental health counselor. Uh, so I'm a a school counselor and also a therapist. Um, and I work here in Indianapolis in one of the public schools uh, as a school counselor by day. And then in the evening, um, I run a uh, group here in Indy for other side B Christians um, every other week. And on the off weeks, I run a parent support group of uh, that's a faith-based support group for parents of uh, LGBTQ children. And I say children, meaning offspring, because some of the parents are there because their 14-year-old came out, and some of the parents are there because their 35-year-old came out. Um, and right. I do that on the off weeks. Um, so I keep quite busy. Um, I, this is an important uh, topic and conversation for us this reconciliation of, uh, of faith and stewarding our sexuality. Um, it's important to me because it's a part of my story. I mean, I knew when I was five that I was different uh, because we went on, I remember in kindergarten, we went on a uh, field trip to a doctor's office and this was in the eighties because I'm a little older. Um, and when we came back, the doctor's office had given different hats and I wanted the nurse's hat, <laughs> not the doctor's hat because the nurse's hat matched my shoes and went with my outfit and the doctor's hat sure didn't. <laughs> and I remember my teacher saying, you can't have that because you're a boy. And that just kind of set a trajectory for um, already feeling a little bit different. I have two brothers, um, and neither of them are gay. Um, and uh, so I officially came out um, to myself when I was in junior high, but I officially came out to other people when I was 19. Um, and then at that point I was in college, um, came out to my parents in my mid twenties. I was about 24, I think. Um, and I think we'll get into this a little bit, uh, but we, uh, our relationship, my relationship with Liz is strange um, and 
we are in August celebrating our 15 year anniversary. So um, I have appreciated the side B language because we've been living side B life without the language. And it just has felt in the past four years as we've learned this language, it has just felt like being known and being seen and it just feels good. So uh, we also have, uh, well, I'll let you talk about our children. I was getting ready to do that, but I feel like I talked about everything. So I'm gonna let her talk now. And yes, we have children that Liz is gonna introduce you to. Um, So I'm Liz and um, I don't like labels. I do identify as lesbian, but I am still like kind of navigating what that means exactly for me and my life. Um, and I, it feels kind of weird doing that at 36, um, still like in that space of, um, figuring all that out because I, I kind of assumed growing up that by the time you're 30, you have life figured out and I do not at all. So, um, yeah, that's been an interesting journey. <laughs> uh, we do have two kids. They are 10 and 12. Um, ben is 12, he's going to be in 7th grade, and Libby is 10, he's going to be in 5th grade. So, I have spent the past uh, decade raising them and have been kind of also on a similar journey trying to figure out who to be when I grow up. So, right now I work at Trader Joe's over the next two years. Um, and it it's great now because it's super flexible. I get a great discount, but it's not my like lifelong dream. So uh, we'll see what comes next. But that's really where I am right now. Can you tell us a little bit about like how the two of you met? Yes. So I'll start with that and then let her fill in the blanks because oh here I'll bring it closer so you can hear me. Okay. Um. So. In college, I had come out, uh, I was involved in a campus ministry um, and in a Bible study. And when I was 19, I came out to that Bible study. And that was the first time that I had come out and been honest about who I was um, and with other men and was not like was just welcomed and people were like i don't care i mean thanks for telling me but we love you like i'd never experienced that um and uh so though some of those friends those men now 20 years later are still some of my closest friends um i shared that because um i was I had some uh, relationships with other men as I was in college, as I was trying to figure out the reconciling of my faith and my sexual orientation. Um, and after the, after I gave my heart to this one particular man, and that ended with a lot of pain and heartache for me, um, I just cut off like had such a uh an intense like crying out to god and i was just sharing like my anger and my bitterness and frustration with having all of these feelings for men and just 
going dead end after dead end and just being so hurt. And I was just done. I was sick of being hurt all the time, feeling used. Um, so I just, I didn't have terms like celibacy that were like at the forefront of my mind, like the side B conversation is, and I wish that I'd had that. Um, the best that I knew was that I hated the, my sexuality enough that I was like, I'm done with sex. I'm done with this. Um, but I still, um, I was an education major at the time, love working with kids. I'm very gifted at it. And I still had this burning desire to be a father. Didn't know how that was supposed to work other than find a woman, get married, have sex and procreate. Like, that's what I know. Doesn't feel right. Feels weird. I don't understand it, but that's the only way I know how to have children. Um, I should also say I grew up in a very, 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 very tiny town. <laughs> Like in the whole county, my high school was the only one in the whole county, and it had like 300 people. Very small. Oh, wow. So I had a very narrow lens of the world. And um, anyway, you can imagine like all the bullying and everything. Like if you've seen any movies or read any documentaries or books about LGBT people getting like mercilessly bullied, suicide attempts, like that, like it's like reading my life. So. Mm -hmm this was also some of the trauma that I was like, I don't know what to do with all of this, but I still wanted to be a father. So I prayed and I told God, I made a bargain with God that I, I was done with relationships, done with sex. However, if he ever wanted me to get married to a woman, I have no idea what that's going to look like. Um, but here's what must happen so that Aaron Munson will know the signs that this is what God wants. So this is what you need to do, God. A woman needs to pursue me and ask me out. And on the first date, I'm going to tell that woman, I'm gay. And if their immediate response without hesitation is, I don't care, I will know that I'm supposed to marry that woman. Four women later, Liz asked me out on the first date in a Starbucks. I was like, hey, I'm gay. And she was like, I don't care. And I, after I like picked myself up off the floor, because I was like, this really happened. Uh, that started like a relationship, <laughs> like that it was awkward at first, and a month into it. Um, hopefully, she'll share some of this in more detail. But a month into that relationship, she, I met her um, ex-girlfriend. <laughs> So it was kind of like a, I said I was gay. A month later, she was like, hey, me too. <laughs> and I'll let her keep going after that. <laughs> did you answer right. Yeah, she said, how did we meet? Did you tell her that we were in Madison? I did not. You can <laughs> tell that part. I'll answer the actual question. We met at <laughs> campus Bible study at Butler through, uh, it was through Crusade. Um, and we were just meeting in the summer off campus, uh, people who were like hanging around uh, for the summer in the area. And um, I was kind of in a similar position where I knew that I wanted to have a family and I knew that the way to do that was to get married at the time. I mean, this was back in the early 2000s, so it was like, my worldview also did not have many other options. Like, I feel like if, if 
I was 18 today, you know, it would maybe look a little bit different. But, um, so there was just something about Aaron where I knew I was supposed to pursue it and it felt right. And, um, yeah, we dated for about four months before we got engaged and we celebrate 15 years in a month. And I, I mean, I can't really explain why it felt right at the time and why it works, but we just knew it was what we were supposed to be doing. I love that that conversation began your literal first date. (laughs) That it's something that y'all. Yeah, you're like, let's do this. Yep. And it sounds like you've been wrestling with it the entirety of your relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, sorry. I think that that's one of, as I was mentioning before, like, we have been very open with other people like my family knows um and so therefore as you can imagine like strained relationships with my brothers because they're super conservative um my dad like it's he doesn't understand but i mean he's also um loving um her family is a different story like her sister and uh brother-in-law like supportive and great her parents like we just can't talk (laughs) we don't bring it up Mm -hmm. because they literally will change the subject or just leave the room it's uncomfortable for them but um so we've been on this journey for our entire relationship and at the time the only thing that we ever knew was ex-gay language and using terms like same-sex attracted instead of gay because it's an identity etc etc and praying the gay away and reparative therapy, like all of these things were just a part of our own experiences, but it never really fit. And we tried really hard to be good Christians and model what we'd seen and then to the world. And then when the door was closed, we would have conversations where it's like, this feels bad, it feels wrong. And Mm. also, can we please just like, watch a movie and talk about how hot some of these guys are (laughs) like it's like being married to your gay best friend you know um Mm. we didn't have the language until about four years ago when we learned about revoice and that just opened up a whole Mm. a whole new element that just felt uh it was like getting into a pool on like the hottest of summer days like it's just refreshing and it feels good Mm. um So now we have language that's healthier and better and more accurate to describe our own experience. Um, And so I feel like for us, the past like four to seven years have been, I would say the best in our relationship because we also worked through some of our own individual stuff through a program that we'd gone through and then started leading about like healthy relationships. but then having this other language to describe what's going on inside of us and expressing love um, from God towards another person um, has been really healing. I mean, reading some of the books like uh, Single Gay Christian, 
Like that felt so good when Greg Poles was like, here's why I use the term gay instead of same sex attracted. And I'm like, yes, yes. It just, mm. it feels, feels good. Feels right. Yeah, feels right. Well, in that, I think that brings up like a lot of interesting stuff. Like, do you think that there are any strengths or disadvantages being married to another queer person as opposed to like what we usually think of as a mixed orientation marriage in like my case of like uh, a queer person and a straight person yeah um, I've never been married to a straight person so I can't compare it <laughs> right, right. <Yeah. laughs> um, I will say I feel like um, I really appreciate that we Kind of, I feel like we can understand each other on a different level that maybe other mixed marriages right. they don't have that. Um, so, like when one of us is having like something comes up or we're struggling, um, like there's uh, an understanding there that it's like, yeah, of course, in the spring. And, you know, Aaron talks about, like, uh, in the spring, men run with less clothes and sometimes it's really hard. And I'm like, yeah, of course, like, I get that. <laughs> like, I don't struggle with that, but I can see how that would be hard for you. Um, right. So I feel like there's just, like, a different, like, a different depth of understanding that we have for um, stuff when it comes up. And... Like, I feel like it just, it doesn't bother me as much because I can identify with it in the same way. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, you know, we have a lot of friends and they're straight couples and, you know, one of them will have a really hard time with jealousy or something. And I'm like, I get it. Like, I get how sometimes being with one person forever is hard. Like, of course it's hard. So, I just feel like there's like, uh, like, we just understand each other in a different way. You have more to add? Yeah, so we, um, we get this question, well, questions like this on a pretty regular basis, um, at least here in like the central Indiana area. Um, like, we've been invited to like speak at churches, like our church, um, Liz is actually an elder there, um, which is a big deal because she is queer and she's a woman and that's like, hey, <laughs> and it's still a side B church. Yeah. Like it, it's really incredible. Um, it, but we, wow. they've known our story from the beginning because that's where we went through premarital counseling and all that stuff. And we've been there for how many years? 20? 20 years. I don't feel old enough to say that <laughs> anyway. Um, and uh, what I would add is, and this is embarrassing because I should have looked up the information before this podcast recording, but I forgot. About a year or two ago, I read a book. I don't remember the name of it. I just remember that it's this, it was a some therapist theory about the different kinds of love in a marriage and how the first kind of love, and he says that there are three and I'm going to just, I'm going to stumble through trying to describe it. Um, yeah, yeah. And the first kind of love in a marriage is attraction. 
you find yourself attracted to this other person. The second kind of love is like the romantic kind of love, like the intimacy, the sex and all that stuff. And then the third kind of love is um, like comfort, a love of comfort, like putting on a pair of slippers, you know, when you're cold, like snuggling up close to a fire, like that kind of like just gentle, like long lasting um, relationship. And his theories were that too many marriages end because they never make it to the third kind of love. And you can't, it can't last without that feeling of like comfort and trust and knowing and being known. And I think one of the things for the two of us in particular that is so unique that I think has helped us stay healthy is we never had, our relationship was never based on the first kind of love, the attraction. It wasn't because I can look at Liz and see like what a beautiful, like I can appreciate her like a work of art, you know, like, or like a great song. Like I love this song, but I don't want to have sex with the song. <laughs> like it's not, it's a different kind of appreciation. Um, so it, the attraction piece was never there. So we automatically started building our relationship on stage two and we just skipped stage one. I would say in the first couple of... I was going to ask about that. I was like, I feel like for mixed orientation in general, at least that's usually kind of how it starts, at least for one of us. Yep. Like right. it doesn't start with attraction. I feel like it, it they almost flop depending on, you know, your story yeah. and who you are and everything. Like you kind of start in like this romantic interest to an extent or there's something else and it kind of like sometimes leads to attraction to this particular person. But really starting on, you know, just base attraction is like doesn't always exactly happen. And I'm like, I'm bisexual to an extent. And I feel like I didn't even start there. Mm -hmm. Like that came later. Yeah. 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 Do you want to say something? Like that? No, I just, it makes sense. I agree. Okay. <laughs> um, I, yes. And I think that one of the, I don't know if I, I'm going to be bold and say one of the gifts that I feel like our queer orientation marriage could offer the church and others is that instead of basing relationships on attraction, what, what could be different? What would the world, what would the church look like? if relationships were based on trust because that is 100 percent right. how we started like literally the first thing that i told her after she asked me out was hey i'm gay like i got the dirty laundry all out and our first year of marriage was arguably the hardest of anyone that we know because we got married pretty quickly because i was supposed to go to africa to work on um, my master's degree we were um, also very young. And we were very young. Um, and the, um, like, the time frame was either, like, we'd started dating, either we're going to get married first and you're coming with me to Africa, or you're going to be here for a year by yourself and, you know, see you when I get back. Um, so we decided to get married. And then Africa, we got there, and it was a whole other story. It was a big mess. There was a lot of danger some civil unrest and we had to come home. And so we were jobless because I'd quit my job in teaching and it was already October or September at this point. So schools had already hired. Yeah. So we were jobless. 
We were homeless. We spent our first two months of marriage just living out of a suitcase with no place to lay our head. Plus we're queer, lots of stress, lots of anger, fighting, all of that stuff. Um, and it was, it was hard. Um, and I feel like because we'd started immediately with trust, it opened the door to complete vulnerability in the worst circumstances. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that has just been such a blessing. Um, and even though we like still like the sexual attraction still is not a thing for us. Um, we, I mean, I say all the time, Liz is my favorite human. Like she's the perfect combination yeah. of sassy and gentle and kind. And she's so wise. Anyway. Do you want to talk, Sam? I think it's, um, I mean, this isn't a question we have on here, so I mean, no, sorry. Right. But something that I've like kind of thought about the past couple of days when I was thinking about this is I remember um, back in, do you guys know GCN? Yes. And what it was back yeah. in the day? Yeah. Okay. So I know one of the conferences, they had an impromptu musical that floated around the internet for a few years. Um, yeah, they, they did that. Um, and they talked about a lot of them, a lot of them was processing their ex-gay days, a lot of them. Um, and so they did this thing, it was like this guy asking God for a boyfriend or something. And they had like the ex-gay guy in there who was always coming and kind of going, they were kind of going back and forth. And the guy said that, like, he's like, well, I'm married to a woman. I'm not celibate and this, that, and the other thing. And he says, yeah, you're married to a lesbian. That sounds hot. <laughs> like, in, I feel like in the ex-gay days, that was almost like, for some odd reason, people thought, it's like, well, this is perfect. You're, you both got over your thing, and now you're together, and this works. And a lot of times, I feel like those marriages fell apart because they were based in something else, this other hope, this mm -hmm. other thing. Like, I was wondering if you guys could talk on probably the same reasons, like you mentioned before, but why you think it works for you guys where many other people have tried the exact same thing for different reasons and it didn't work yeah, very well. I mean, pretending that your attractions have gone away does not seem like it would work out well in the end. Um, so I think, going along with the whole idea of being honest with each other, but then honest with ourselves too. Um, like, uh, I started working at Trader Joe's two years ago and for some reason at my store, there are like 15 lesbians and zero gay men. And I'm like, what is God doing to me like what are you <laughs> doing um and i mean a lot of them are in committed relationships and it's not it's not that i like go into work and i'm like all of a sudden in the struggle it's just that like it is in my face in a new way that it had not been before and it really brought yeah. up a lot of things where I was like, I have to work through this within myself 
so that I can mm-hmm. um, be in a good place at work. Because I don't, I don't want to like, I don't want to come off as like guarded because <clears throat> I'm trying to like protect myself. Like I want to be, you know, my my true person around all of my coworkers and not have to like feel weird. Um, so I really had to do a lot of work and I had, I have to be honest with Aaron when I'm like, you know, this girl is trying to hit on me and like in my mind, I'm like, well, this is kind of fun, (laughs) but like in my heart, I'm like, this is not a good place to be. So, um, just being honest and like when things like that happen and um i need to process i i don't just process it with myself i also bring it up with aaron and i'm like this is what happened this is how i felt about it um i have to go back to work with this person tomorrow or you know next week like it's just in my life every day in my face um so right i'm just kind of forced to like deal with it um and it isn't easy i mean there are days where i'm like i don't want to talk about it today i don't want to think about it um but like for like the big picture of our relationship it's always better to be able to get to that point internally where you're like all right, I got to work through this and, and be able to be in a good place so we can kind of move on. Yeah, I think that the question was about um, what, can you can you ask it again? Because I had some other thoughts, or I can just start talking, never mind. Um, <laughs> one of the other yeah. things that she didn't mention, well, that you, I would say you alluded to, is being committed not just to each other but being the best version of ourselves um which i think should be true of any relationship whether it is a marriage a friendship uh doesn't matter like that we need to Mm -hmm. commit to being the best versions of ourselves um and for us that Mm -hmm. looks like me working on my own traumas working uh, through some of my trauma history with a counselor, Liz doing some of the same, that class that we went through together about being healthy, like having healthy relationships um, was really important for us. Um, And one of my favorite phrases from that class was um, about being a, uh, for yourself, about being a good gift to others. And I use that a lot, even in my own counseling practice. Um, like, where where can we work to be a, a good gift to other people? Because you are a good gift. You just somewhere along the line lost sight of that um, in this in this scenario or whatever. And I would say that the other thing um, that has helped us a lot in our relationship is the Enneagram. And I know this is not an Enneagram podcast, so I won't spend a lot of time on that. But for the past like five or six years, we've been doing a lot of work on that for ourselves. And through some of that understanding and some of that work, we have discovered that our Enneagram numbers 
when we are both very healthy, work really well together um, because in part we're both oriented to the past. And so we, in addition to both being queer and we understand that experience um, and I can give grace where she needs it in that situation and I am not offended that she uh, doesn't find me attractive because I lack certain body parts. Like that does not bother me. Um, and it also has helped that we understand each other on that level of being past oriented and what comes with that. Um, and that has also helped, um, helped us parent better uh, because we, we have to work and we choose to do things to keep us healthy so that we can be good for each other and good for our children. It's awesome. There's so many different threads that y'all have named that I want to pull on and I can't decide which which to one to go with. In. Yeah, I know. But um, what was like yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about your church and your faith community and what does it look like navigating that as a couple and a queer couple and being very open about that with your church community yeah, and what is that? I'm gonna let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> um oh god. It's such a hard question. Um, our faith community has definitely evolved over the years. Uh, it took us a very long time to find um, people and couples who were not, I guess, weirded out by our relationship. Um, a lot of people tried really hard to uh to not be bothered by it but um it took us a really long time to find people who were genuinely not bothered by who we are as people which after a while you know it gets a little discouraging because you're like am i doing something wrong or like should we try something else um but we have found amazing people who, um, you know, they're really, they're good people and they're good for our relationship. And we found a couple friends where, you know, we both, we enjoy everyone. It's not just like um, one or the other, because that can be tricky sometimes. Um, and our church has come a really long way in the 20 years that we have been there. Um, they have navigated the women in ministry conversation that women were not allowed in ministry when we first started going there. So I would not have been able to be an elder uh, until maybe, has it been five? It's probably been more than that. Like eight or ten years. Um, they started allowing women to be elders and pastors. Um, and I think they, they're moving along a little bit slower with the LGBT conversation, but they are open to it. They're open to having the conversation, which in my mind at this point in the Midwest, I feel like is a good enough place for me. 
Because sometimes I see churches in other locations around the country, and I'm like, man, I wish we were already there. But I have to remind myself, like, we're in the middle of Indiana, and it's okay that this is where we are right now. Um, so we had Bill Henson came a couple of years ago and did posture shift. And um, I think that really helped the church give language to a lot of things, because a lot of times... It's, it's not just that, like, people disagree on a topic. It's that nobody has language for how to communicate where they are with it. So um, having Bill come in yeah. and really, like, talk through the, like, ins and outs of, you know, not only, like, where you stand as a church, but how to communicate that and how to, like, navigate that, it was super helpful. Um, so I don't know what else to add, but I feel like we're moving in a good direction and I feel hopeful. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I would also like, I don't want to paint this picture, uh, for anybody who's listening, who happens to be side B, whether you are celibate, whether you, whether you are in a mixed orientation marriage, queer orientation marriage, to me, it doesn't matter. It is not easy. Um, we many times have considered leaving our church because of our frustrations with how slow they've been. Um, and to, to respond, to speak up, like they've remained silent on too many things. Um, and we've also like had different leaders. Um, there have been a lot of transitions in the church. Like it has not been easy. And um, there was a period of time that was, what, was it for like a year? Like when we went to Christchurch Cathedral? Oh, we, we didn't ask. There was a period of time where we even like stopped going to church for like six months or so because of our frustration and like they just were going through their own leadership transition and it was a network and the network kind of imploded and so the church itself was not able to care well for its flock um for its people and instead needed to just focus on getting their stuff together <laughs> And we were like, well, that's great, but we still would like to um, to continue learning and continue meeting with other believers. So we just went somewhere else for a bit. Um, taking a break, I should say. We only went somewhere for Advent because we wanted some liturgy, um, but we just took a break from church. Um, that being said, even today, especially with COVID and having to do everything virtually, um, like on my job and for our kids, like we were on screens all the time. And on Sundays, I was like, I just, we can't do church on Sundays on screens again. So for the past year, even though we've still been like giving to our church and being connected to people from there, um, we on Sundays instead would go hiking, um, in some of the surrounding areas. And that was church for us to be out in nature away from, from, being stuck at home and just having some peace and quiet. Um, and so I think that it's important for people to hear that it has not been easy. Um, 
we also, because of our story, um, have had to do that difficult thing as we're like, we're recognizing at least in this, in central Indiana, that Liz and I are kind of trailblazers in a sense, because there aren't other people that we know who are in a queer orientation marriage who are talking about it. And the church recognizes that. So um, we have also had to do the difficult work of teaching our church how to respond to LGBTQ people um, in healthy ways. And sometimes that feels exhausting. <laughs> like I'm an LGBTQ person teaching straight people how to respond to LGBTQ people. Like I, I just, it shouldn't be this way. <laughs> um, so it's tiring. Um, so all of that to say, um, our, the, our church where we are and have been, except for that six month window, um, our church has been willing and they have apologized when there has been hurt and pain and were willing to stick with us in that. And we were doing the same. So I feel like our relationship with our church is a lot like a friendship or uh, any other kind of relationship where I've had to apologize to some of the leaders when I overreacted because they were too small-minded in certain situations and vice versa and staying committed to each other. Um, in my prayer time, um, I continue to come back to this verse um, it's Zechariah 4.10, and it says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line. And I, I have to remind myself of that a lot, is this is a small beginning, and my hope is that as we're bringing up the next generation, our church is going to, like, this is not, it's going to be a non-issue, <laughs> because we are doing hard work now, and we can't change the church from the outside, it needs to be changed by people from the inside. So I'll stop with that. <laughs> right. No, that was great. Um, well, you talked about how you've talked to your, how you guys have navigated your, with your church, this subject, and this is something I kind of have vested interest in myself. And, but Sarah had brought up the question, like, how have you guys navigated this conversation or how do you plan to with your children? Cause I remember last year when Josh had an episode with Lori Creek and I, I love a lot of stuff that Lori says, but she doesn't use for personal reasons, LGBT language for herself and her reasons are some that I totally understand for her and that's great. But one of the things she brought up was that she felt like if she used um, gay or lesbian language, um, it would confuse her kids. And my thinking was, well, once they get older and someone's going to, someone their kids know is going to hear about this because they talk about this publicly on a very large platform in their church and everything. And so one of their friends, when they're in middle school or high school, inevitably is going to say, see, your mom's gay. I don't know what her children will answer to that. Yes. Yeah. Or they're going to give their mom's big explanation or, you know, how they're going to navigate that. Yeah. But to me, it's like, that's still going to come up. There's, I mean, once they have that conversation with their girls, 
they might explain it this way and but once they get to like a an age of peers they're gonna be like they might have the same question for like be like so you're gay and she'll have her way of explaining it but like i don't know it just it's it's something i'm interested in like i said i have a baby you know and i Um, I wonder about how that's gonna go later i'm ready i'm ready so (laughs) um this okay i am so glad that you're asking this question because that i would say for our relationship has been one of the most difficult things to navigate um because um right there 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 are it's lacking resources are lacking like we we don't know other people other side b people personally who have children as old as ours and Mm -hmm. there's there are no resources for like how like how to like for side b resources and like how to walk through sexuality with your kids it doesn't exist i've looked and i've tried so um i will also say because of our sexual orientation and because of our own trauma history we both have sexual abuse as a part of our story which is part of the reason why we went through that class why we've gone through therapy together and all that stuff that had that innocence that was stolen from us we are like we fight so hard to ensure that that won't happen to our children to the extent that it's possible i'm saying that because from the beginning from our children being very young we have been very intentional about talking about sex talking about your body belonging to you no one gets to touch your body for any good reason and age-appropriate discussions about sexuality I recognize that I know a little bit more than the average person intellectually because I am a school counselor, so I work with children, and I'm a licensed therapist. So, like, I, I recognize those pieces, and so what I've right. done, what we've done together, is taken lots of different mm-hmm. parenting um, input, parenting uh, uh, curriculums that we found sifted through things, and nothing is perfect. So, and, and also because at least for me, um, another aspect of trauma for me was that my mom was bipolar. And so physical abuse was a big, it's something I've had to work through as well. Um, so I, I like many parents will, right. um, when they have children, will revert back to what they know and what is familiar. Well, I can't do that because I don't want CPS getting caught. Right? So it's like, We've had to rewrite everything. Exactly. We're rewriting our own story because pre-orientation marriage, rewriting parenting. So it, all of that background that people can edit out if they need to, because uh, I also like to give backstories. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. Um, what I'm going to share is there is a curriculum, no, not perfect, totally but it's a good fine. start, that we discovered through conversation at, for other parents um, through some other therapy uh, therapists and conversations uh, called um, the God's Design for Sex. And it is a book series that is age appropriate okay. based on the book. And the first book is for ages, I think three to five year olds. Yeah. Um, and so we started when our kids were four and five because uh, they're 18 months apart. Uh, and um, that book we read, uh, we also like, w- like had tied 
those meaningful, important conversations to experiences. Because when we are so vulnerable, like kids feel uncomfortable. And what we have discovered through trial and error (laughs) with our kids is when we have meaningful conversations, if we as a family are doing something else together, they will collectively remember we had this conversation while we were in Chicago, going to Navy Pier, like things like that. Um, so we we started that um, when they were very little, and that book okay. was so beautiful. We read we read all of the books first to talk about it, to wrestle with it, and say, "Oh, can they really handle this? Like this language was more than I thought they could." Um, that book was beautiful because it talks about um, on oh, okay. the wedding day, people when a man and a woman fall in love, they get married. And on a wedding day, or they may choose to get married, um, on their wedding day, people bring them gifts to celebrate this union. And God has a gift too. And the gift that God gives to a man and a woman on their wedding day is the gift of sex. And sex feels so good. And you were born because of sex. God takes a little piece of a man and a little piece of a woman and puts them together and it grows in the womb, which is the first home. It is beautiful. We also recognize, yes, it's so, we also recognize though that it's not perfect. Like what about if you're a child and you were adopted? Right. Or if you're in like a multiracial family, like there are breakdowns that, because it was written in the 90s, like there are things that we've had to also talk about. Like this is your story. This is not the story of everyone. Um, Still, and opening it up to questions. Mm -hmm. I would say that for every parent, when you're having conversations with your kids, Mm -hmm. um, when kids ask questions, never respond with information. (laughs) Always respond first by asking for more information. So like, what was that? There was a story that like when Libby was in the car, she asked you once, do you remember what that, what she was asking? I don't, I don't remember the specifics, but it has happened several times where my kids asked me a very big, hard question. And I internally panic and I'm like, oh my gosh, how do I like make this age appropriate? And then I'm like, what did you mean by that? And it is something totally different. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. I don't know what it is. Totally different. So yeah, definitely ask follow-up questions or ask like, um, even, even asking, asking what they think about what their question the answer to what their question might be helps give space for like what they're actually asking because their level is so different from ours that they're they're not where we are and a lot of times like i remember so vividly when we first read this book to our kids when they were four and five i was so paranoid that they're going to be like asking all these questions about sex and how it works and how do you do it? And they did not care about any of that. They were like fascinated by the fact that the their belly button was where their umbilical cord was. Because they like <laughs> talked about that later in the book about like when you were born, like you got life from your mom from the umbilical cord and that's why you have the belly button. And they like talked about their belly button for like hours. <laughs> and I'm like, we just read this book about like really awkward sex words and all they were talking about is their right? belly buttons. Penises and vaginas. Nope, they want to talk about belly buttons. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 
So, and it happened in <laughs> like all the books, troops. right? Like the language was a little bit higher than I thought they were ready for. And um, they would have questions that were like totally different than what I thought they would be. I mean, harder questions did come later, like as they got older, but um, when, you know, just making right. sure that you like actually like my uh, daughter, when she was a little bit older, had some follow-up questions and like just even like figuring out where she was with it. I'm like, oh, like you totally heard that wrong. And like, this is, let's clarify like what you heard type of thing. So anyway. Yeah. So I would, um, so when, even like in school, um, when I have parents who are super concerned um, what Liz just said is what we've, for by experience and also by trade, our natural response that we've trained ourselves to is when a child says something that internally causes us to panic, rather than immediate respond immediately responding with information, we say, "What do you mean by that?" or "What do you think?" That will give you then the parent more information to know, number one, what they can handle, and number two, what they're actually asking. Because sometimes they aren't actually asking, what is sex? They're really more concerned about belly buttons, right? Um, so that's the first book. The second book, we started splitting up. So I talked with Ben, read it with him, and Liz did that with Libby. And that's just something every year, we plan something together. I took Ben backpacking. Um, she took Libby to like was here since we were gone. Like we, we continue to do the intentional things annually while reading these books. And then just recently the book, um, this was, was this, it was two years ago when Ben was 10. I read him the book that's a chapter book now, um, written as a conversation between a uh, parent and his children. And that is the book that starts talking about homosexuality and sexual orientation. Now I've said that this book was written in the nineties. And so there are things that we read and then I would tell Ben, we completely disagree. Here's why we disagree. And so then we were talking about like, we don't use the word homosexual, like that's very outdated. And I would explain why. Um, and it was in this book that I felt the most panicky because again, we, we're trailblazing, right? Our models, like our mentors are ex-gay people who, you know, can and genuinely like express that they have been, um, like their orientation has changed. That's not my story, not Liz's story. We were like agonizing over how do we do this with our kids? Because we can't once it's once we share this information, we can't take it back. There is no going back. And recognizing Santa Claus doesn't exist. Right, right. And recognizing that we have to trust our children, who are complete human beings. We have to trust that we have parented them well enough that they're. We have to trust their response at a ten-year-old mm -hmm. level. And it was hard, but on this backpacking trip, Liz and I had made a plan, like, I'm going to tell Ben, here's what I'm going to tell him. Um, at, and after we talked and about me and Liz, and so she gave me like what she wanted me to share with him about her and her orientation. 
So we were backpacking and I actually, after this happened, I had posted on about this on the side B Facebook group. Um, so I read this chapter about homosexuality, share some of the things that were wrong about it. Um, some of the things that, uh, th it also didn't talk enough about celibacy. And so we continue to tell our children, if you choose to get married, you do not have mm -hmm. to. It is a beautiful yeah. thing. And we, we are gonna love you if you're single. We're gonna love you if you're married. We're gonna love you if you're gay, if you're straight, we don't care. You're our kids and we are for you. Um, so they're getting those messages on equal footing. In this conversation, I read that chapter, fixed some of the things that were not good. And then I said, you know, Ben, this is also my story and it's mommy's story. And he asked like, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, I'm gay and mommy, she uses the term queer. That's what she uses the time because she doesn't like the word lesbian as she already mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. And so Ben got really, really quiet and I internally started to panic and got very paranoid because I'm like, here it comes. Like I had to come out to my son and then my son at 10 is gonna disown me and like, oh, what's <laughs> gonna happen? So he gets really quiet yeah. and I said, Ben, are you okay? Is there anything you wanna say? And he looks up and he said, will you still love me if I'm not gay? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yes, yes I will. <laughs> it was just so beautiful. Since then, I remember that now. Right? That it was so. Yeah. It was so powerful. Also, knowing like now that like we've had to kind of pass this mantle that Liz and I have to wear on to our children, and our kids now like they have they have seen people be unkind with their words towards us. Um, because we are queer and we're open about that. And there are churches that say some hurtful things um, and they hear about it, they know about it. Like they now have to, they shoulder that mantle a little, which is hard. Um, and so that's why I'm grateful for this age appropriate series that we use, even though it's not perfect because it was age appropriate because my, my 12 year old and now my now 10 year old, they can handle hard things. Um, and we don't need to protect them from hard things forever because they are going to need to know how to do this. Now, sharing with Libby was supposed to be Liz's job. <laughs> I don't even remember the complete story, but it was not as beautiful at all. It was actually quite messy. It was an accident. It wasn't in the car. I was not there. It was right. The kids and I were here and um, our, I mean, our kids, we're, I would say we're kind of moderate with our, moderate to progressive with our, you know, political stance and things. And so we also, like our kids go to a pretty progressive school. Like they both have kids in their class that are identify as uh, transgender or um, gay or um, bisexual, pansexual. Like this is not new to them, right? Okay. Libby had asked a question and, or we had watched something and she said, oh, it's fine. It's not like you're gay, right? And I get panicky because it was supposed to be this beautiful thing with a book that Liz is supposed to do with Libby. And I'm like, uh, what do I do? Cause I'm gonna either lie to my child and so, or I'm going to like, I, I don't know what to do. Like deer in headlights, like I'm not prepared. And 
so in my mind, I'm going very quickly, and I was getting ready to say, like, um, what do you mean by that? You know, like, tell me more. What do you think? But instead, Ben, and I know people who are hearing this can't see me, but Ben does this thing where he, like, looks at me and looks at Libby, like, this really back and forth, and Libby is like, what's happening? Right? You're not gay, right? And then starts panicking, and I was like, actually, Libby... I am, and so is your mom. <laughs> then she starts bawling, she is crying, she's hysterical, and I was like, Ben, I need you to go to your room. Libby and I need to talk. So I call Liz, I was like, Liz, this is the worst. <laughs> Libby is now crying, because, and as it turns out, after we were talking and she was able to express more, um, she was just scared because she thought that, that me telling her at this moment meant that mommy and I were getting a divorce. Right. Yeah. And then it became, mm -hmm. well, I'm scared that I'm sad that you don't get to, you know, live if you're gay, like you should be able to be with a man. Mommy should be able to be with a woman and helping her understand like these things are true except for our faith. And since then, even though that was the worst possible way to come out to a child, um, since then, Libby and I specifically have had really good conversations that she has started and would say, Daddy, I have things I need to talk to you about. Um, and like with, uh, during the pandemic, like she and I sat on the porch for like an hour and 15 minutes because she had more questions about this. And so she asked more questions and I gave her more answers. Um, and it has been like now, after all of that, it's been really good. Both of our kids know. Um, and I would say at this point, some of the tricky aspects are our friends' kids who are now getting to be our kids' age are also starting to ask questions, but it's been so beautiful because like one, one of my best friends in particular, um, oh, I also forgot the other piece now that Ben is 12, um, Preston Sprinkle recently, like the Center for Faith, Sexuality and Gender just recently, recently released, um, the Christian sexuality series that's for youth, for churches to use in youth groups. Uh -huh. And another example of how my church is too slow, <laughs> I sent this to my church and they were like, yes, let's do this. Let's buy this. Let's put together like a committee to make sure and like, let's do a pilot. Except no, nothing ever happened. And I was like, forget this. So I just did it myself. So I put together a group of my, a couple friends, one of my best friends who's also side B, a uh, good friend of mine who is celibate and then another man in a mixed orientation marriage who has a son and my son. So it's the five of us together that we're doing this on Sunday mornings before church. And it's really good. Um, some of these conversations have then allowed some of my friends whose kids are starting to wrestle with their own sexual orientation to say, Aaron, I need your help. <laughs> and so it has, it's been really, really beautiful. Um, and so I guess as like the trailblazers, one of the gifts of the trailblazing is we have a, an example of like picture perfect and an example of a train wreck and both have ended well. <laughs> <laughs> what to do? What to do? Yeah. It is, it's interesting uh, because we were uh, at a church recently uh, nearby and they were asking us if they thought that it was appropriate that the middle school kids were in on a conversation about sexuality 
and I am like, yes, there are like middle schoolers are already talking about this. So like, it's not going to be new information, and it is better if it is coming from the church than if it's coming from their peers. So like with mm -hmm. our kids, I would rather them have language from me so that it is relevant to their conversations that they hear at school. So like, I'm not going to tell my kids that I struggle with SSA because that does not translate in a relevant way to the like broader society. So, um, Ooh, yeah. like, I mean, our kids are going into fifth and seventh grade and it is already language that they are so familiar with. Like Ben is part of, uh, uh, LGBT like group at school. Like he has GSA club, whatever. Yeah. Like they, he has friends that have already started talking about this. Like if I was putting language in his world that like he thought these things are two separate ideas like that doesn't feel like it serves my kids well as they grow up because like this mm. the the youth that are growing up now are just so much more open with who they are and their story and like being willing to talk about it like i just i can't imagine like limiting my kids view on what that means and how it like translates into the broader world like we have some friends uh lesbian friends who have two little boys and when they got pregnant our kids had a ton of questions about how they had a baby because they're like we know from right. the conversations that we have that you have to have part of a man and part of a woman and now, like, these are two women. How does that work? So it's like having conversations with them, like, being straightforward and being honest and being like, you know, this is what they had to do. Like, it seems like that is going to serve them better as they get older than trying to, like, uh, shelter them in some way to try and, you know, make the conversation easier, I guess. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it totally does. I really, I think the thing that I really admire about the two of you as I've listened to you talk is the intentionality and the thought that you have put into so many different aspects of your relationship. And that even as you were trailblazing, you're recognizing that that's what you're doing and like giving yourself grace that it's hard and new and you don't have the like resources support that would be ideal but also um are doing a lot of work so that you're trailblazing well and so that you're caring for the people that you're in community with and caring for each other well and that's yeah. really cool too yeah hear. it isn't it isn't always easy but <laughs> we're doing our best yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, we're almost at time. I think I would love to hear as a single person, what gifts you think you all, or like what you would like for the single side B people in your life to know, or, um, something about your marriage or being side B, um, that is a gift to those of us that are single. Oh, 
It's a big question and one I did not prep you for. <laughs> um, so the, I might have more to say in a minute, but off the top of my head, I feel like I, I just always want single people to know that being married is not always easy or fun. And it, it does not answer any hard questions that you might have about yourself. Um, I mean, obviously there are good things and there are benefits, but I think, especially growing up in the church in the era that I did, we just so often heard the message that um, marriage was kind of the the pinnacle to life. Like once you got there, you've like reached the summit and everything is just going to be like hunky dory after that. And I'm here to tell you that 15 years into marriage, that is absolutely not the answer or the case. So, um, uh, like I acknowledge there are beautiful things about our marriage, but it's just not like, it's not going to answer any uh, amazing life questions that you think you might have or that might be answered by a committed relationship that you think maybe you should be in. So do you have more to add? Yeah. So something that we haven't necessarily talked about yet um, that I want to make sure that I say is one of the other things that I feel like has kept our marriage healthy is that from the very beginning, because of how honest we were about our own experiences in the world and our own orientation, we, from the beginning, knew that we could not be all things for each other. And this whole, like, mm -hmm. um, th this whole cocooning of Christian marriages, it's like Liz, Liz was talking about, like, marriage is, like, elevated to, like, an idol status. And it's, like, the pinnacle of the... Christian experience. And that is just absolutely asinine. Um, and it's super unhealthy, um, especially for me as a, a gay man and Liz as a lesbian woman, we need healthy, same sex friendships that are deep, deep rooted, long lasting to keep us healthy for each other too. And, um, as Liz was sharing earlier in this recording, um, We've had to work really hard to find that, um, and we we have we finally have found that um, with uh, the friends that we have that now like we've been good friends for years. And honestly, some of the, like our spiritual community, I would point to that more than I would like a house church or a small group from our church because that's where like real life is happening. And um, some like. Uh, one of my best friends who was in a uh, mixed orientation marriage um, recently got divorced and walking with him for the past four years through that has been so hard and also has um, helped unearth the unhealthiness of our society when it comes to marriage and people feeling isolated and alone mm -hmm. and individuals being unwilling to work on themselves to be that good gift for the other person so they don't have friends outside of their marriage. Like it's, it's, mm. it, it won't last. How, how can it? Because we can't be all things for each other. Um, 
I love Liz, but she, she can't do that for me. Yeah. Um, and so I would say that, that were you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say along with that, along with the cocooning idea that married people kind of find themselves in, I think a lot of times it's hard for single people to break into that and um, be friends with married people. But I want to encourage single people to continue to pursue married people in relationship until you find people that are willing to actually be in community with you. Because I think that single people bring a ton of amazing things that married people need. But a lot of times it's hard to kind of find people who are like willing individuals to make that work. And it can be um, discouraging sometimes. So if you are single and if you are looking for married people to be in relationship with, like don't give up on that idea and that hope. There are people out there that want to be in your community. Um, and it might take time to find that, but um, like if that's really what you're looking for, don't stop looking yeah so i i think that um yes what liz said and i think that um a mark of maturity is for single people to acknowledge and recognize the difficulties of being married and the amount of energy that that takes and then adding kids on top of that that it, it takes a lot of energy for single people to not take that personally. And I think that it is a mark of maturity for married people to recognize how much energy it takes to be married and adding kids on top of that and to not use that as, as an excuse every time. Um, because it can be very easy, as Liz was saying, it can be very easy to say, I can't do this because I'm tired, because I just did all this with my kids. And it's uh, for for each of us to be in healthy relationship with each other, to, to call out, name, bless, and celebrate the wonderful gift that being married brings to the community and the wonderful gift that being celibate and single brings to the community and doing that together. Um, that it, it's absolutely critical. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for married people, stop using your single people as your babysitter all the time. <laughs> yes, do it sometimes. Um, yes, not all the time. That's absurd because single people want to also hang out with adults. <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek, but I'm actually quite yeah, serious. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I know I said that was my last question, but I have one more. This will be my actual last question. Y'all have been married 15 years. What are your dreams for the next 15? Uh, su successfully launch our children out of our house is one of my yep. <laughs> goals. Amen. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's definitely uh, something I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah um i looking back at how hard won some of the relationship because to me relationships are everything so continuing to have depth in my relationship with liz 
um, whether that means more Enneagram work or more counseling, whatever it is, I'm willing to do that because of my costly obedience and my how much I love her. Um, hoping to continue to deepen that and the relationships outside of our marriage that we have cultivated um, to see that last for a long time and to see that deepen. Because um, that means more to me than anything else. Um, there's a church that I spoke at in um, Michigan who multiple times has contacted me and asked me to come and consider being their director of family ministries. And I'm like, I can leave the stress of working in a public school and go work at a church and they know that I'm gay. Like, okay, except no, <laughs> because I'm not willing to uh, give up the relationships that we've cultivated um, here. Um, and starting over sounds awful and so difficult. And until God says to do that, I'm, we're not, we're not all for that. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think also like if I look back 15 years ago and the way that culture has shifted in the decade and a half since we've been married, like I sometimes feel a little bit overwhelmed about like what it's going to look like in the next 15 years. Um, so I think we have done a really good job up to this point of like staying grounded in who we are and what we believe in, despite the, like all of the crazy that's going on around us. Um, but I feel like it's just going to keep getting harder. Um, like the way that culture and society are moving, uh, it is not going to make it easier for side B Christians to like remain strong in their convictions, which I, I it's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. I think it's just, um, a truth that I need to acknowledge so that I can move forward in an intentional way. <laughs> um, so I think that yeah. uh, being aware of that and um, like just knowing, you know, the way culture is moving and what that might mean for our relationship and uh, steps that we need to take within our marriage to stay true to ourselves and stay uh true to our convictions, I feel like that is going to be a really important uh, aspect of our relationship over the next uh, several years. Just because, I mean, not only uh, being a side B Christian, but I think there's so much challenge that comes in marriages when your kids are gone and you are like, who is this person that I married? <laughs> like, are we still compatible? Are we still friends? Like you hear all the time people after 20, 25 years, they're like, wait, what did I just do? And I don't want to be that person. And we're talking 15 years from now. So it'll be like kind of the life stage that we're in. So I want to remain intentional so that, you know, we don't end up in that place where kids are gone and society has shifted and we're like, what? So, 
saying intentionally like that, but I think it's going to be important. Yeah. I would say, like, I always like to ask if there's, like, anything else that you think we didn't cover, something you want to add, because we have questions, but sometimes there's stuff that you guys wanted to say that maybe we didn't cover anything or any any last thoughts? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I would just say that I'm really grateful for this podcast um, and just for, I'm grateful for being alive in this moment in time with the conversations that are happening. And I mean, I feel honored that we got to be a part of this conversation uh, because as we've mentioned, we've been on side B journey for our life, just lacking the language. And it just feels, it feels good and honoring. And um, right. yeah, I'm grateful. I feel like this podcast helps put love where love is lacking. And I think that that is what God calls us to. So that's all I have to say. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll say I've loved listening to you guys. I think this is one of my favorites this season so far. Like you guys, Absolutely. I feel like you guys are so insightful to an extent because like you said, you guys have been doing this for a long time, whether or not, however the conversation has gone, you have the experience that many of us don't, don't have, like you said, I think probably right in the subject community, I think you guys kind of have some of the older kids, um, you know, it's just so many things that that we need to talk about. Like you said, we're we're the conversation's getting better and there's material that we haven't had before, but there's still so much stuff that's left to be said. And the fact that you guys are working in that is just so inspiring. Even if it is in just your day to day lives, you know, with with you know, it's not like you know, it's with your kids and everything, but it's like, it's, it is so important. And I hope you guys realize that, that you guys are making a mark in this world and that what you're doing, while it may seem tedious and hard, because I know, like you guys said, it has been difficult, but just hearing you guys, I know that there's no way that that's, that what you guys doing hasn't made an impact. So I'm, I'm really appreciate that you guys took the time to talk to us and that some, that other people can be able to hear from you guys experience thank you thank you for saying that um because we're in it all the time it is honoring to hear that it refreshes other people because like it, when we're in it day to day like it's hard especially when it comes to like raising our kids like we'll let you know in uh eight years if it worked <laughs> Right. Yeah, definitely. But like, even even here, just like the little bit you guys have done, like I said, I mean, I've been around kids my entire life, but like, I remember when I got pregnant, I started asking questions. I was like, what is, what is parenting as a queer person? Uh -huh. yeah. Like, is it, is it different? Is it the same? Like what I do? And it's just, it's, it's refreshing to hear that. It's like, I mean, obviously it can be done. You don't have another choice, right. but it's, it's, it's just good to hear from someone who's doing yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like a whole other podcast we could talk about. <laughs> what it's oh, parenting, parenting as a queer person, because it's, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little extra yep. clear, too.